dear listeners, welcome to Psychiatria, the show where we explore true healing and everything that might mean. I am Danny, your host, guide, and fellow human on this journey. And as you can probably hear, my voice has had better days. Um, I've been sick for the past week, and this episode is long and full of a lot of good stuff. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet today. Um, I think that you'll find this conversation with Dr. Brandon Younger beautifully nerdy and curious and insightful and oh so fun to listen to as it was to be a part of. And the best part is that this is just the first half of this conversation. You'll get to hear the second part in the next episode. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello, Brandon. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's super good to be here with you today. Um, Folks, Brandon and I connected, I don't know, like a couple months ago, you reached out to uh, Free Range, just wanting to connect with holistic psychiatrists who can potentially serve that area of your clients. And then I did a little bit of research on you as an integrative physical therapist and was like, whoa, this guy's pretty cool. I didn't know there were people out there like him. And uh, we chatted and now we're doing a podcast. So um, if you could just take a couple minutes to kind of tell people who you are and and yeah. Well, my name is Brandon Younger. I'm a physical therapist. Um, that's what I did my traditional schooling in. And I also uh, did training in shamanic healing practices of the Caro, which is a group of people in, that live in the mountains in Peru. And so I've been integrating that into physical therapy treatment to, within my specialty is chronic pain. And so what I find is that if we can integrate some of the spiritual healing that comes from the shamanic healing processes in with the more physical modalities of a traditional physical therapy, then we can really make a bigger difference, especially in a lot of these tricky things that show up, you know, people whose pain won't go away or, um, you know, a lot of people have gastrointestinal issues that don't seem to clear up either. Um, and there's all kinds of e- very interesting things, but mainly, mainly I find that it's very valuable for people with, with trauma in their past, whether or not they've worked on it in therapy, there can be a, a physical energetic piece that lingers. And so I find that, that the work that I'm doing is helpful for that. Um, mm-hmm. my, my practice is called step forward wellness. So I'm doing this work in person in West Michigan and virtually for anybody. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that you um you just touched on so many of the things that I want to talk about. I I think your journey from starting as a traditional physical therapist to I know there were there were a number of things that you learned about between traditional physical therapy and this shamanic energy work um and all of that and then things that you've learned since then. So I'd love if we could just kind of walk through your story and, and sort of tell it chronologically. Yeah. Um, well, I'll start, I'll start with my going into school. I went to Grand Valley State University. Um, coming out of high school, I was really interested in like sound and electricity. Like it started hmm. with like car speakers and stuff like that, uh, which is like That's everybody was into, but yeah. So, and it's, it comes back full circle, but we'll get to that. Uh, yeah. but that was, so that was what I thought I was, 
I'm going to do something with that. I don't know, but I jumped into Grand Valley's engineering program, like the accelerated program, uh, instead of doing like get to know college and what it's like to live outside of your parents' house and mm-hmm. do your, do your, like get that, get easy way into it. I jumped right in like 18 and 17 credits my first two semesters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, it was intense. And I wasn't like a good student in high school. So it was like a big change for me. Yeah. So, but as we went through the first two years, it were like groundwork and the most, you know, like even if it was two years of my life, there's this, there's this one notion that um, still applies that I really appreciated learning, even if it was a class that I didn't really care for. It was our, uh, the second level of physics where you're learning about electricity and magnetism. So I have to, I've had to explain energy work or like what energy is or like um, just how some of the stuff works to people who have no frame of reference of, of energy work or, or, or aura or things like that. They're just like, that doesn't exist. But what I found was valuable was that the, the idea that, okay, if you have two points that exist in space and they have a difference in voltage, then there becomes a, a current of electricity that flows between the two of them. Um, mm. And so the other thing that'll happen is around those two points in between, there's a magnetic field. And then extending out away from those two points, getting infinitely weaker is another magnetic field. Um, and so that's the way I started to explain it was like, well, you ha- your body's full of electricity. Um, and so it stands to reason that there would be a, a magnetic field around your body. You know, what makes, what would make our body different than any other thing what, that makes it break the laws of physics. Um, right. And so everything that you see here, I usually am like the words that I'm saying right now, they're changing the way the electricity is moving through your brain and your body. And so it's going to be changing the way your electric or your, excuse me, your magnetic field is behaving. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like, thank you for my two years of engineering. Um, that yeah. was what, that was what I took out of it. I oh don't gosh. know any of the other stuff. I remember doing like calculus one, two, three, and four and all that stuff. And I tried to explain calculus to somebody the other day and I'm like, I don't use it. I don't, I don't know that <laughs> I, I can't can. even explain it to yeah. myself anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just want to say real quick that how you just described, um, energetic and magnetic fields. I mean, they're kind of, if you say energetic fields and magnetic fields, like, yeah. They would be synonymous, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, Just depends who's talking. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) As far as we're concerned. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I spent months trying to write a blog post for a free range about this specific topic, about how everything is vibrations and like this is how energy uh, like energy work and intentions and all of that and as having no background whatsoever in my partner is an engineer and I was trying to ask him to like explain things things to me and he is still an engineer so he explained it in like engineer terms and I'm like I don't know what you're talking about um but you just explained it so well so thank you for that oh you're welcome thank you for saying I didn't even know we were gonna like cover that today but that's awesome so that's how stuff goes sometimes yeah Uh, I've had to explain things to people like that's part of being a physical therapist is you're yeah. meeting, you have to meet people where they are. And then I, and then I have to explain all this weird shit that they don't understand what makes them feel better <laughs> or why it makes them feel better, but they feel better. So yeah, absolutely. I have to figure out how to, how to make that. And I usually have to figure out how to make that a, 
a sciencey type of topic rather than uh, be like, oh, you know, everything's interconnected and we just did the spiritual healing thing. Or if I explained it in like shamanic terms, like, oh, we just did an illumination or an extraction or something like that. That's why you feel better. That kind of, especially where we live in yeah. West Michigan, there's a lot of very rigid boundaries surrounding um, spirituality and what it is. So uh, mm-hmm. that can really rub mm-hmm. people the wrong way. So I had to learn how to say a lot of things that make the most sense to me in like a spiritual context into some sort of uh, physical scientific type of language. So that's yeah. taken several years uh, yeah. to be able to do that effectively. So after I got in my two years of engineering school, uh, the third year was when we began to do like actual engineering stuff. So I was in the electrical engineering program. And I remember sitting there and we were getting all this stuff started and the projects for the semester. and. We're sitting there building uh, building circuits on these like practice circuit boards, like changing resistors to try and get the amplitude of this sine wave to be a specific uh, size. And I was just like, oh, I hate this. Uh, <laughs> and then on top of that, like I was just sitting there like, man, this sucks. I can't wait for this class to be over. I had a teacher come by who's really, he was, he was such a hard ass. Um, I want to say he was a Russian. He was either Russian or German, but I remember he had an accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it was a very stern language, whatever his background was. And he came over and was like, what have you done so far? And I was like, well, you know, I built the circuit and then it didn't work out the way that we thought it was going to. So now he's building it. And he goes, oh, so you've done nothing. And I was like, <laughs> wow. Uh, and that just kind of pushed me over the edge. I was like, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? It feels like a hard no. Um, mm. so I remember going out to, that was at the Everhard center downtown. So I went outside and, uh, sat by the river and was just like, what do I want? Cause it's not mm. this. Mm. And what I settled on was that I'm interested in electricity. I still am. That's true, but maybe not engineering in this way. So I started thinking about our nervous system and that was what really made, I really like that our nervous system, our brain, how, how does electricity kind of course through our body? And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do with that. I know I took a, yeah. I took a semester off and, and started to figure it out because I was like, do I want to be a physician? Do I want to be a psychologist or a physical therapist? And, you know, I didn't have a really good reason to be to end up in physical therapy besides that's kind of just what happened. But that's what I decided that I wanted to do. Um, and I don't know why it didn't work. Mm-hmm. I didn't decide to do anything with mental health, but that kind of came back around too. I work pretty closely with mental health and that's part of why I'm reaching out to you guys. Uh, and that led to this mm-hmm. podcast. So eventually got into university of Michigan Flint's program for physical therapy. And I was like, cool, I'm going to be a physical therapist and I'm going to do neurologic rehab because that's what I'm interested in. And I was wrong. We got into the classes, same as the engineering where I was like, Oh, this sounds super interesting, but it is very, very boring in practice. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, it's like, fuck it. I'm here. I'm in the school. I'm not going to not finish the program. So, but I found that I was pretty good at like manual therapy and uh, like using your hands to manipulate a person's body to help them feel better and, uh, kind of diagnose by, by what your hands tell you. So I was like, well, I could do that. You know, I enjoy doing it. So I might as well, uh, that's, you know, a lot of outpatient rehab involves that which kind of a side note maybe we want to talk about it uh, but there's a there's definitely this 
wave of thought that's moving through physical therapy, which is like, don't put your hands on a person. Manual therapy mm-hmm. doesn't do anything but build, um, but build reliance within the patient uh, on you to do that manual therapy for them to feel better, which is true to a degree, but that would imply that a person who's doing manual therapy is kind of a dummy and doesn't know how to do anything else. Because the yeah. way that I look at it is if I can use my hands to change someone's physiology, I better be able to teach them how to do that same thing for themselves. And that's right. what rehab should all be about. I'm going to help you and, tell you and teach you how to help yourself until you don't need me anymore. And then mm-hmm. see you later. Enjoy your life. I, I hope I never see you again. That's, mm-hmm. that's the way that I look at rehab. Um, so anyway, there, there's my sidetrack for that story. But so I, that's what I decided I would do. I'll go and I'll do the outpatient stuff. I'll do manual therapy. I like doing that stuff. Um, and so rather uneventfully, we moved through uh, the rest of school. And then this is where this is where more of that like energetic uh, realm came into my life. Because prior to that, it was all science. I mean, imagine this stereotype, stereotype somebody who's uh, going to through biomedical sciences and engineering and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very much like show if there's no evidence. I don't believe it. You can't prove it. Then I'm, I'm steadfast in my belief that whatever you're talking about doesn't exist unless you can prove it to me. So mm-hmm. we had read this book. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's uh, my stroke of insight by Jill Bolte Taylor. I don't yeah, know if uh-huh. it's pronounced Bolte, but whatever. Uh, sure. That's how it's spelled. And so she's a neuroscientist. I don't remember exactly what she did in the field of neuroscience, but she's a neuroscientist who suffered uh, a stroke. So in the book's very interesting. If that sounds interesting to you, it's even more interesting than it sounds because she's describing, um, based on her knowledge, like in retrospect, she's describing real time what's happening to her brain, but also because she's writing it after the stroke, she's applying the neuroscience knowledge to say, now I was not getting the blood flow I needed into this area of my brain, and that experience was like this, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think the most interesting was and now I can't even remember, but I feel like it was the left hemisphere as that started to, to become like shut down and not working as much. She couldn't think in uh, like logical operations, like linear mm-hmm. thought any longer. Yeah. But she was like, it made me realize that this like abstract part of our brain is the part that feels that connection. Like everything is connected. Uh, everything is beautiful. Everything is love. Cause that's what she started to feel as she was having her struggle. Mm-hmm. Like she at first was scared and then she's like, I don't care. Uh, because hmm. everything's love, everything's beautiful, and not, this doesn't matter. Um, and so that's the thing that really stands out aside from there's like an appendix in the back where she had added some research from, uh, I want to say it was functional MRIs of uh, monks that they would meditate and they would just watch their brain. Uh, and I think they were monitoring brain waves and stuff like that. I can't remember exactly what the study was. But all I remember is that it normalized neural processes. Um, Mm. And so I was like, well, that's interesting. And it's the evidence that I require being of such Mm -hmm. a staunch, rigid uh, scientific mindset at the time. And so I went home and looked up uh, the type of meditation that they had studied and did it. And I was blown away. Like that was where I was like, I, that needing somebody to prove it to me kind of went out the window because now I'm experiencing what it's like. Like the science says, this is what happens, but the experience of it is not well-defined by a functional MRI 
or monitoring your brain waves. Yeah. I basically, I got really, really relaxed and my eyes shut, my mind started to empty. And then I kind of went on this little journey. Um, and it was almost like a metaphorical journey about things that were occurring in my life uh, that helped me gain a little bit of clarity. But it was also like, that was a new experience. I've never, I've never gone through that before. Um, so that's interesting. I'm going to, all I decided is I'm going to try to do that more. Um, and that's easier said than done. I don't know if anybody's listening that has tried to meditate and have it not go so well, but <laughs> it can be a hard thing to do because you have to be able to, to get your nervous system nice and calm to be able to have that type of yeah. experience. I think a lot of us have had that. Mm-hmm. So that was something that I feel like kickstarted where I am now. That was like a pivotal moment. I discovered that meditation can change my perception of reality. Um, and that's just like, wow, there's a whole new world available to me. So as I'm coming to the end of my clinical experiences, I had this moment where all of a sudden I was just seeing this bright light in front of my eyes. Like if you were to stare into um, a fluorescent bulb that's above you or like a big fluorescent light and then shut your eyes and you can still see it. Hmm. Only it was all the time. It was with my eyes open, with my eyes closed, it didn't matter. There's this big bright light that was just there all the time. And I started to feel like this bit of fear and anxiety and I could feel it all through my body. And I was like, I'm trying to just get through this day and it was really hard. So I told the person that I was training with and we checked my vitals and my blood pressure was low and my heart rate was dipping down. And so we were like, time out. Let's get, let's, I thought, oh, I'm just, I I haven't been eating as much of like carbs lately. So I must be like low on blood sugar. And that was my theory for a while until it wasn't my theory any longer. Uh, So we went through that and it just kept happening. It would come in waves and then I wouldn't feel it. I wouldn't think about it. And it would come in a wave. And it was really scary when I was driving because I felt like I was going to pass out. Um, And so eventually time goes on in the, the distance, the time, excuse me, between two of those pass out feelings was getting shorter and shorter and shorter until it didn't exist anymore. I felt like I was going to pass out constantly. I called my girlfriend at the time to come pick me up and take me to the hospital because I was like, something's wrong. Somebody needs to look at me. And so I'm in the ER and they were like, this is anxiety. You're freaking out. I can tell you're freaking out. Uh, So you just need to, you know, know that it's anxiety and go home. And I was like, that would be great but I don't feel comfortable leaving and getting in the car, you know, like I feel, I'm nervous that I'm going to crash my car, kill somebody, kill somebody else. Um, and so they ended up admitting me be, I, maybe because I was like, that's unacceptable. That answer that you just gave me, uh, which would be a whole nother conversation that I don't need to get into right now. Uh, and then they were doing tests that didn't lead them anywhere, even though they reproduced my symptoms. Eventually I was just sent home and they said, well, we can't figure anything out. So see you later. Three days in the hospital. They reproduced my symptoms. Couldn't tell me anything. And I was like, I'm not done with school yet. But what we try to do is reproduce somebody's symptoms so that we can say, oh, because I did this, that tell, and they felt the thing that they're used to, that should tell me something else about what's going on with them. And I should Mm -hmm. be able to start to problem solve. And so I just kind of powered through. I was like, well, they don't know what's going on. So let me just Mm -hmm. get done with school because I only had a few weeks left. And then we'll try to figure it out. So my health journey took me to 
allopathic physicians, naturopathic physicians, osteopathic physicians, and didn't really get a lot of help. So um, I took a couple months off after school and just, just trying to become healthy, but nothing was changing. And my girlfriend at the time was also struggling. That would be like a whole nother conversation too, but she was struggling with these like mysterious health issues that nobody could figure out as well. Those had been going on since long before uh, I had started school. She would pass out, but she wouldn't pass out. She could tell you everything that happened. She could blink answers. She could try to make noises. She could just make throaty mm-hmm. noises. Um, as time went on, nobody could find, figure out answers. <sighs> like U of M, she saw the head of neurology at U of M at the time. And her advice was think happy thoughts because that's the best we can tell somebody Ooh, like you. Wow. Um, so, so I'll bring it back to my story. Um, that I kind of I kind of missed this part because one of my clinical rotations before the one where I started feeling uh, like seeing that light and having these pass out waves was at Mary Freebed, which is uh, actually just right around the corner from where mm-hmm. I live now. So uh, when I was there, I had learned about this guy who was there to teach craniosacral therapy to the pediatric therapist and. I sat in on one of the lessons and was like, like, I don't know that my, my clinical instructor asked me, what do you think about that? And I was like, I don't know. It's over my head. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm. Uh, and, but I was like, but it's interesting. And what he told me was, well, when we have a hard time with some folks, we send them over to this guy. And I was like, well, that's very interesting because I want to know more about these things that I didn't realize physical therapists could do. He was doing like color therapy and like brainwave biofeedback. Yeah. So it was like uh, modulated music and stuff yeah. like that, that was based on your brain waves, and it would put it would put different sounds in different spaces of the room. And I was like, wow, I, this is great. Uh, I didn't even realize physical therapists could do that. And that kind of set the stage for me to be where I am now, where I can work more with, uh, do manual therapies for the nervous system, which is like, oh, okay, that's how he ended up. That's, that's why I ended up yeah. doing this. There we go. Um, yeah. So yeah, we did that. And she... On her way back from Ann Arbor, after she got told to think happy thoughts, I was I kept trying to get her to go. I was like, people who can't get figured out, go and see mm. this guy. And so she ended up going to see him. And I uh, backtracked slightly. One of the times she was in the hospital, she had a headache. And that was like the first thing I was ever any good at mm. treating was headaches. And so I was just trying to help her and like doing some stuff with her neck and some of her muscles and things like that. And she was in that pass out phase where she couldn't like mm-hmm. move or talk. And we just moved one of her vertebrae, it was her third cervical vertebrae, just kind of pushed it anteriorly, like into just like mobilizing it towards her throat mm-hmm. just a little bit. And she had this big, deep breath, and then she could move again and she could talk Whoa. again. Uh, she, yeah, she went out to her, uh, to the nurse's station at the hospital and walked right up to him and was like, look, I can walk now. Because <laughs> earlier in the day, physical therapy had been there and was like, you, if you're trying to get out of bed, you need to use yeah. the walker because she couldn't. She couldn't balance and she was all herky-jerky with her Mm -hmm. movements. Um, And so they got the internist that was on at the time to come in there. And we were like, I move C2 the same way I move C3 and she passes back out. Move it back down to C3 or move C3 again. And she's waking back up. It was like an on-off switch. and But nobody could make sense of it. Uh, You know, there was uh, one of her friends who who was uh, just there at the time. She was like, honestly, I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't see it. (laughs) It was like, it's an unbelievable tale, but I, she watched yeah. it happen. 
So anyway, we were back. Now we're back at the the guy who's teaching who's teaching Mary Freebed people. Who's the guy who they send the tricky people to, and he he's going through his evaluation, and she passes mm. out. And so I, I asked him, "Do you do you want me to show you how I wake her up?" And he said, "Yeah, go ahead." And so I did the thing that I just described, and he's like, he's scratching his chin. He's like, "Okay, yeah, okay, that yeah. makes sense." Uh, and then he, so she's back awake. He's going through his evaluation some more, and she goes out again. And I was like, "Do you want me to do the thing again?" And he says, "He's like, well, if everything her body's telling me is accurate, this will wake her up." And he grabs her right leg and then just like pulls on it and holds yeah. it. And she takes a big, deep breath, and she can move again, and she Whoa. can talk again. And I was like, mind blown. Uh, what? <laughs> what just happened here? Like, there's no explanation that could possibly make yeah. sense for me. And he was like, well, let's talk about it later. So he goes through the rest of it, and I, he asked me if I have any questions. I said, of mm. course I have questions, but I don't know, like, what they right. are. I just, just like, what? Uh, How? What? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, well, I'm going to teach an acupressure class in a couple months. So if you want, you can be a part of that yeah. class. And so before I'd ever started working, this was like between graduation and starting mm -hmm. to work that I, this mm -hmm. had happened. And so I started practicing acupressure before I actually started working. Mm -hmm. Or at least I started doing the training and stuff like that. And so that was a, a big part. It was a, it was a big tool for me as I entered into the physical therapy workforce and started treating patients yeah. and stuff like that. Do you remember um, the, that guy's name, the doctor's name? His name, yeah. His name is Joe Cordes. Joe Cordes. Okay, cool. Yeah, he still practices in town. Nice. Yeah, well, um, I, I would love to look him up. He sounds really interesting. Yeah, he is. I wonder if he would do, I mean, let's see if he wants to do a, a podcast. Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so the next thing, so I learned acupressure and... In the meantime, I got hired, I don't believe in coincidences, I got hired onto the same team that he was training when I was a student. Hmm. So I was working another place full time as like a regular outpatient orthopedic physical therapist. And I got hired to, it's, they were called the manual therapy team. And it was the pediatric post-concussion team. Okay. Uh, and so that was when Mary Freebed was much more supportive of alternative things. They would say, I want craniosacral therapy. I want acupressure. You know, I want these things with these kids and they kind of, you kind of have to with kids because you're mm. not going to, a lot of stuff physical therapists do hurt. Um, and the kid's not going to tolerate that. Sure. They're just going to like not want to participate. They're not going to want to come. Um, and so all this stuff, you know, all of these more energetic techniques feel amazing. They are just like calming and soothing. Um, and so I started to learn uh, more of that. I'd already been doing some osteopathic work in terms of like with regard to myofascial release Mm -hmm. and muscle energy technique, strain, counter strain. There's a, to round that out, the techniques that make up osteopathic uh, manual manipulation, muscle energy technique, strain, counter strain, myofascial release, uh, lymphatic drainage, uh, high velocity, low amplitude thrust, which is like when you uh, get a, people think of with a chiropractor, that's a high velocity, low amplitude thrust okay. where you get your back cracked. Yeah. And craniosacral therapy. Mm -hmm. And so, so I'd been doing some three of those. And so I started doing more craniosacral therapy mm -hmm. and what i had discovered was that when i did acupressure i didn't have to do as much myofascial release and muscle energy technique mm. and when i did uh craniosacral therapy i didn't have to do as much acupressure and mm. which meant i didn't have to do as much of those other things yeah can you um just do like a quick explanation of what craniosacral therapy is 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, there is craniosacrotherapy is a pretty well disputed. Uh, there's there's not a lot of consensus in the mm. medical field about uh, about what it is or if it even works. Um, you know, I remember looking it up in the past, and the first thing that comes up is quack watch, which is like <laughs> and it says like craniosacrotherapy is nothing. Mm. Uh, my clinical experience is that's not true. Um, I, so I was I was pushed away from like reading research a lot because people would always say this research says you can't do what you say that you're doing. Oh. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Why do my patients get better? You know, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. So so I'm not sure where the current evidence is on craniosacral therapy. I know that there is some because uh, I'm currently working on since, since we've last spoke, I've discovered that the uh, National Institute of Health is uh, prioritizing uh, curbing the opioid crisis. So they're funding innovative pain therapies and technologies. Mm. Um, so I've been doing more research and, and getting ready to do some applications to be able to, to take what I know works mm-hmm. and try to pump it through the system uh, and get it funded and get it out to people. Yeah. So we'll awesome. see where that goes. It's the very, I'm at the very beginning of that right now. Yeah. Um, That's exciting. So though. Yeah, so there's some evidence to say that it's effective with people with chronic pain. To what degree, I don't know. And what are, what are the studies like? I don't know. I just read a couple abstracts. Mm-hmm. But with all of that disclaimer <laughs> in place, uh, craniosacral therapy is taught to be where you're working with uh, the tissues that attach to the, the meninges. And so people tend to know meninges because of meningitis. Mm-hmm. It's inflammation of the meninges. Mm-hmm. Um, but the meninges, there's three layers of it. They, uh, I usually speak about the dura mater, which is the outer layer. Yeah, uh, the, the meninges are the like the membranes over your brain, like yeah, between your brain the spinal and your skull. Fluid. Yeah, yeah, they keep the spinal fluid on your brain. The dura mater attaches to every bone in the skull. Um, I want to say, except for the ones with teeth, I don't think it directly attaches to the mandible or the maxilla, but I could be wrong about the maxilla. <laughs> um, regardless, it attaches to all the rest of the skull bones and every vertebrae all the way down. It, can, it creates a sheath where every nerve that, once your spinal cord becomes a peripheral nerve, it has to leave through that tissue, through the dura mater, mm. uh, to get wherever it's going to go in your body. So we, everything that goes to the tips of your fingers and to your face and to your feet and everywhere, your, your organs, all that stuff has to leave through the, the dura to get where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, for me, is all I need to know to explain Like when people say, well, why? Uh, I had one person that's like, they would poop once a week and they were pooping multiple times a day after that. And they're like, why is this happening? It's like, well, the nerves, you know, they were changing this thing. And then that changes all of your physiology. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's how it's purported to work. Like you, people argue it because um, they say that our skull bones don't move. And that's a lot of it is manipulating the skull bone. Mm. There's even people go so far to say is that your sacrum doesn't move. uh, And, but you're manipulating the sacrum, you're manipulating the skull bones. Um, as well as the pelvic diaphragm, respiratory diaphragm, and the uh, thoracic inlet. Hmm. So we've got these three major areas in the body that you're trying to get those nice and loose so pe- so the, the dura can move more freely and that the nervous system can move more freely. Um, they also, it also corresponds a lot with your chakras. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, maybe part, my, my personal opinion is that maybe part of the, the problem quote unquote problem with craniosacral therapy is that it's an energetic technique that's uh that's advertised as a physical technique hmm. now there is a physicality to it and that's why i love craniosacral therapy is because 
you know, people will say that skull bones don't move. They're fused. They only move when you're a baby and then they stop moving when they get fused. Mm. But one of my other mentors that we can get to him, his name's Joe Witte. He said something that stuck with me, which is if there's a joint, then there's movement. Hmm. So there's lots of, you know, if there's just one plane of movement. There's if you right. if you look in the different types of joints, a planar joint has one plane of movement. And those are what our uh, cranial sutures are. Mm-hmm. They have a plane of movement. It's just yeah. really complex yeah. how they move. And they, it's not like uh, they move a lot, right? Like you're no, not going to get no, no. these like waves in your skull. But yeah. so the actual manipulations that happen in craniosacral therapy, like I've had um, some massage therapists in the past who I think have had like a little experience and kind of incorporate that into a massage, but that's yeah. really my only experience with craniosacral therapy. So what does that actually, like, what are you doing? Uh, so, well, it's a very light technique yeah. too. And I think that's another thing that puts people off, but part of it is you're listening with your hands. Mm. And so there's, nobody's gonna be able to see this. It's gonna be hard to describe, but what your body kind of internally rotates and externally rotates mm-hmm. when you're just at rest. So right. if so you're you kind of like can roll well, your shoulders forward or roll them yeah, back, roll like, them back. Yeah. And it's, and your, and your hips are rotating out and rotating in, but it's a very slight and it's very subtle. And it can change, you know, like maybe my femur is doing that, but my tibia is not. Mm. And that if, if you can listen well with your hands, because there's not machinery, a diagnostic testing that's, that is able to detect these motions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another part of why people say, well, that's a bunch of bullshit mm. because we don't have a machine that tells us that measures it for us. Mm. Um, so, but if you can, if you can, let's, like I said, if you can listen well with your hands, you can start to feel that motion and you can feel where it's aberrant, where it's like not, where, where it's, it's equal over here, but it's kind of not moving right over here. So maybe I need to, if the movement's normal at the femur, but not the tibia, maybe we need to look at the knee joint because yeah, there's something mm-hmm. that's going on there. Uh, but basically that's existing everywhere. Um, and, and what you're feeling for when you're at their head, uh, and a lot of people only do it at the head, but you need to do it at the sacrum as well. You need to get mm-hmm. the sacrum loose. I've had too many times when I first started learning it where uh, you only work on the head because they have a headache and then they leave with back pain. Or you only do a little bit at the back because they have back pain and then they leave with a headache. Right. So Because you kind of need to do both ends of the spine so yeah. that things can flow the whole way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We need to have, it's, it's about balance, you know, yeah. and it's not about like just one specific area. That's where we get lost a lot in our medical system is none. We're all one integrated unit. We're not the separate parts that just yeah. exist. Precisely. Um, in isolation, that's for me. That's crazy, but that's what a lot of ha- a lot of what happens in our medical system. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you're basically kind of guiding the skull bones, for lack of a better word, into a normal rhythm. Hmm. So you're palpating it, and then you're saying, "Okay, here's where." It, it, a lot of it is uh, a lot of the osteopathic techniques are go into where the strain is, and then allow the body to release. And then once you allow the body to release, then it will become a more normal pattern. And so what you're doing is uh, you're putting, if you're looking at a tissue, there's, there's stretch receptors in our tissue. And there's one, the, the muscle spindle has a certain, like if, if a tissue is stretched too much, mm-hmm. there's a reflex, the muscle spindle engages, and there's a reflex that says, oh, pull away, that's too tight, that's dangerous, which is an excellent reflex if somebody's trying to rip your limb off. It's not very good if you're perfectly safe. Mm. Um, but so, you know, trauma, any sort of trauma will make our body start to protect and tighten up. Hmm. And so it's really hard if it's like a central, centrally modulated 
tension that exists in our body, like central nervous system modulated, uh, to just pull it back to normal. It just won't happen because right. it's a spinal cord reflex. It's not about having a tight muscle. Yeah, it's like and really so, difficult to just stretch your spinal cord, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, it just, it's really to stretch the electrical signals that are moving. Like that's that's what's causing it to remain tight is because it's getting the signal from the nervous system saying be tight. Mm. So you can't really stretch that out. It's not because it's like just a, just a knot. Yeah. So you have to get the nervous system to be able to relax and then you can maybe get the the length that's lacking in whatever that tissue is. Hmm. So that's that's what I find. And those are generally speaking, when you do that, it's a direct technique is I'm going to plow into a trigger point. I'm going to uh, like manually stretch somebody. I'm going to take their leg and put it over their head. Those are more direct techniques. Yeah. Um, an indirect technique is where you're going to move into a position of ease and allow the body to wait, wait, release, and then it will be able to move more freely again. Mm. So because of all this stuff, I started using a lot more indirect technique. Yeah. Because um, I found it was valuable. I, I just want to yeah, back up for a second. Like, what a super cool way to describe the actual, like, physical relationship of trauma in the body, right? Like, when your central nervous system is just, like, tighten, 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 and we say, like, stress is, you know, you hunch your shoulders and your hips are tight and blah, 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 blah. Like, that is... I don't know. I'm nerding out about all this right now. It's so cool. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, those are the things that we, we talk about a lot. People who are working, uh, successfully working with chronic pain mm. is, you know, the, the way you use your body. And maybe this is another interesting thing. Uh, Joe, Joe, either of the Joe mentors that I've talked to you about would talk your ear off about Moje Feldenkrais. They're both certified in the Feldenkrais method. Mm. Um, Moje Feldenkrais is a very interesting guy. He, um, he had hurt his knee. Doctors told him we can do a surgery, uh, but you're never going to ski again. Mm. And or a 50-50 shot, mm -hmm. even if we do the surgery that you're ever going to ski again. So he's like, well, that's, I'm not going to do a surgery if it's a 50-50 shot. And so he started to use what's going on on the good side, the side that wasn't injured, mm -hmm. to and using the principles of the central nervous system uh, that he knew. He was a physicist and a judoka. So he was like a judo practitioner. Mm. And so mm -hmm. he started to use that side of his body to inform the other side. And this is like, there's studies in primates about mirror neurons yeah. that are existing, you know, as you, you already know about those that, you know, if I'm watching you move, there's mirror neurons that are firing in a similar pattern in my brain, right. in my central nervous system. Uh, so this is the explanation that I usually give to people is that's what's happening, but for you, for your own body. So there's this like little bit of overflow where your one side of your body is teaching the other side. Hmm. So eventually he got back, he's skiing again, he fixed himself, and then he made the Feldenkrais method and started training people. And so I don't use the Feldenkrais method like my mentors do. They are like, they taught me some bits that have been really, it's been once, once you can get somebody feeling better with your hands, that's the next step is to teach them how to do it themselves. And I use a modified version of the Feldenkrais yeah. method to do that. That's a... Uh, it's a little bit shorter. A lot of the Feldenkrais lessons are very long. So I'm just trying to like give you a little short thing that you can do at home. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, Bite-sized yeah, so, Feldenkrais. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he, what he says, this is one of the quotes. There's a lot of, he's a brilliant man. Uh, like some of the books that I have that Feldenkrais, Moshe Feldenkrais wrote are hard to take in. Like they're so information mm. dense and he's such a smart person. Um, but one of the things that stands out to me that is like, how you use your body or movement, excuse me, movement is the language of the brain. And that for me lands uh, because it's all happening. All of our movement happens unconsciously. Nobody thinks like 
I'm going, I'm just there like, I need to go grab that thing from over there across the room. They don't think like, I'm going to shift my weight onto my toes and then I'm going to bear weight through my feet, extend my knees and extend my hips. And, you know, and then all the thought presses that would go into walking. Um, but so the way, the way that somebody holds themselves or the way that they walk or the way that they do anything can tell you about what's happening unconsciously in their brain. And so that's, that's really the basis for the physical therapy part of my practice, which is still, I suppose, listening to myself describe it right now, is still quite alternative, but not quite as alternative as the shamanic stuff sure. uh, to our culture. Um, because the shamanic stuff is a lot harder to explain with reflexes and central nervous system patterning. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I started to learn going through. I learned the, the hands-on stuff, the osteopathic stuff, the craniosacral therapy. And then eventually I learned dry needling, which was like another really valuable skill. And what I found was, well, there's two stories, mm-hmm. but what I found was that when I used the needling, that I didn't have to do as much cranial work. Mm. So I could just stick a couple needles in and wait or teach them a breathing technique and just wait. And then I would feel the rhythm start to normalize mm-hmm. throughout their entire body. Yeah. To the point where like yeah, go ahead. Let's talk about um what dry needling is and what the difference is between that and acupuncture. Um because I okay. I a few episodes ago, um I did a couple on on acupuncture with my acupuncturist from Michigan. So hopefully we're we're a little bit familiar with how that goes. But um I know dry needling is similar but different. Yeah, it's uh it really depends on who's doing it. Mm. Uh this is a common question. I get it all the time. Like, what's the difference here? Yeah. Nice. First thing, same needles, right? Yeah. So we're using acupuncture needles. And it really is more of a mindset. Uh that's that's what's different. Hmm. Like people who are doing acupuncture are diagnosing and treating based on the five element model mm-hmm. uh, of Chinese medicine. And so their the emphasis would be on, you know, points in the meridian, balancing chi, things of that nature. Yeah. Um, while a lot of dry needling, so I'll speak about most of dry needling, and then I'll talk about the way that I do the dry needling. Okay. So you can find a lot of people, acupuncturists would call dry needling dumbed down acupuncture, hmm. which for me is fair I don't, I don't accept that for what I'm doing, <laughs> but I think it's fair for a lot of people because you're basically finding a trigger point and sticking a needle in it. Mm. And it's just really valuable. If you're spending a lot of time like digging in, digging your thumb or your elbow into trigger points, put a needle in it and now you don't have to like use your body as hard. So mm. I think fair enough, use a needle, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get to different trigger points all at the same time. And that's when you start to get more of an acupuncture effect. But people who are doing dry needling are typically thinking about things in more of the Western setting where it's like, you have shoulder pain. So I'm only going to look at your shoulder Mm. where somebody might be using like the little canoe point, uh, an acupuncturist because that's linked up with shoulder pain. So, uh, so they're needling your foot for your shoulder, but a dry needling person, typically not everybody, but typically is going to be like putting needles near where you hurt. Mm. Okay. So that's one way. Yeah. Uh, And that's like probably the most rudimentary way. And I think that's what acupuncturists, kind of hold on to when they're like this is not acupuncture they're they're not doing it a disservice it's dumbed down acupuncture mm. so the other there's a couple other ones that do it take a more integrative approach they look at your it's more based in your nervous system than it is uh like a trigger point or something like that and 
those ones, so I can only speak to the I was where, where I was trained, which is the integrative dry needling. And what they're looking for, generally speaking, is where do you hurt? Uh, what nerves supply sensation to that area? And what peripheral nerves supply sensation information to and from that area? Hmm. So they're thinking if you know what a dermatome is, the dermatome is like, if we get a lesion at a certain nerve that's where it's coming out of the spinal cord, the dermatome is where you start to lose uh, sensation because of that damage to that nerve. Mm. And then a myotome is like the, the muscles that lose weakness because of the damage to that nerve. Okay. And so they're looking at the dermatome. So is it a sensory thing? So we're going to put needles around the neck because you've got this pain in your shoulder or your arm. Mm. You're also going to get needles where you hurt. So poke around the shoulder, find the trigger point, stick needles in it. But then you're also going to be using some of the, the peripheral nerve points, which in the integrative dry needling way of reasoning are the, the um, homeostatic points. And the homeostatic points are acupoints. So okay. when, I, when I took the class, I was like, oh, I know all these homeostatic points already because of acupressure. Hmm. And so it's much more that program. And I feel like there's some others that I'm just not familiar with. Um, I think the guy's name is like James Dunning or something, but regardless, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that system, so I won't talk about it, but they, they use acupuncture. He actually says acupuncture in his dry needling courses, but he's from the UK, I believe. And so I don't know if they can get away with that, but Mm. you're asking for, uh, a litigious interaction in America by saying that you're teaching somebody acupuncture when they're not trained to be an acupuncturist. Right. Yeah. And actually Um, like to become an acupuncturist, it's like a whole it's like a five-year program, I think, because then yeah, you're learning like all of, of the traditional Chinese medicine behind it and, mm. and all of that. Yep. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. And so there's, there's this like acupuncturists are like, you know, no, you may not because you don't know, <laughs> you know, everything that we know. Mm. And then, you know, people who do dry needling would say, well, we went, I went to school for at least seven years and studied anatomy and physiology and all that kind of stuff. So am I really going to hurt somebody? Uh, by doing this. So I think that's where, you know, maybe, maybe our lack of awareness of chi would be a fair point in my experience, because, you know, you could set off something in the body that it's, it's more rare, but you could set off something that's like a problem you don't know how to fix. Sure. um, If you're not aware of energy and chi. So the integrative dry needling was, was started by this guy who's an acupuncturist, a neuroscientist and an acupuncturist from China. And so I, my impression of the way that he does this is that he's taking a lot of the things that work from acupuncture and saying, this is the new form of dry needling because it used to be like trigger points. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're saying now it's the nervous system and everything is like, that's why it's the integrative method. Yeah. It's every, now we're looking at everything altogether. Yeah. So there's a, there's a bit of a scope in dry needling and it's still evolving, I think. But those are the, that, that's really the difference. Mm-hmm. Makes enough sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the way that I typically use it is, you know, it can be good. It really depends on what somebody's coming to see me for. Um, because if it's, a, if it's more of like a metaphysical issue or like they're emotional, like that seems like the primary thing that's driving their complaint, then I'm probably going to use it more like an acupuncturist would. But I still don't utilize the Chinese medicine framework. Mm, okay. I just have my own, my own framework from the shamanic training right. that helps me like, this is how I view energy and it's not necessarily in the meridian systems and with the, the five elements. Um, but it's also, you know, we're starting to, 
we're just looking at the Americas. Maybe that's not even fair to say the Americas, but like this turtle island that we're on and <laughs> yeah. comparing it to the to the east. Right. So there's a and there's a there's I think this is interesting. There's there's Native American tribes that have become in contact with like some of the monks from out east and some of the uh, the Buddhist philosophies or, or Taoist philosophies where they're like, these are our brothers. These are they have the exact same philosophies, but we've never met, mm. you know, or we met lifetimes ago or something like that. But I think that you start getting that it's like tomato, tomato type situation. As long as you're helping somebody energetically, you're doing just fine. I don't care if you call it needling or, or acupuncture. Um, I think ultimately we should be do no harm, but also let's help these people feel better. Right. Can't seem to find help. Yeah. I've, I think that's really sort of has been my perspective as I've um, been doing this podcast as I'm talking to all these people who have expertise in all these different modalities. And I think they all have their place and they all have their merit and we're drawn to different ones of them for different reasons, you know, and, and they're all kind Absolutely. of like trying to achieve the same thing at, at the end of the day. It's not like one's better, one's worse, one wrong, one's right. It's um, yeah. wherever you jive in that moment um, at that point in your life is, is what your body's asking for. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, if you're getting what your body's asking for precisely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the way to be looking at it because there can be a lot of competition and stuff. I think that's where the business part of like healthcare as a business comes yeah. into play um, because people are just trying to like, this is mine. It's proprietary. I own it. But it's kind of like, nah, do you though? Like, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing. That was another that was another quote from Joe Witte. So not Joe Cordes, but Joe Witte that he would tell me is like, because I would ask him like, what do you think about these guys who say I invented this this type of physical therapy? Um, he's like, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, mm. it's, it's all been there. It's just different packaging. Yeah. So yeah, we can get caught up too much in the proprietariness of things. Um, but I think it's like, if we're here to be healers, let's do the healing and let the money part work itself out. Sure. Um, absolutely. So yeah, that would be our difference and a little bit of that talk. Yeah. Um, but what I found was, you know, it's a really super valuable tool for energetic balancing. And it really speaks to how balancing the energetic systems will facilitate a physical change as well. Hmm. Because you can pop a couple needles in somebody and just wait. And then you can go back and reassess like where are their trigger points or how's their joint moving or whatever it might be. And then their pain complaint and they feel better and they move better and the trigger points are gone, even though you didn't necessarily touch the area that hurt. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's for me, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then the next phase after that would be the shamanic healing where you don't have to be even in the same room with the person. Right. And you can have these same effects, which I think are amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to give you another story Let's uh, do it. about the needling and it links back to where it started with my health issues, okay. quote unquote, health issues. Yeah. So I started feeling better when I started doing some trauma-informed counseling and getting some energy work done for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started to realize, oh, you know, a lot of this, like this panickiness that exists in me is because of my old trauma. Mm. It, it's been, it's coming up to the surface. It's calling to be healed because that's something, at least in the shamanic trainings, not so much in the Western trainings, they teach you that like, it's like healer, heal thyself. Like you need to, you have a healing crisis that needs to happen before you can become the shaman. Mm. Right. And so that's what I think was going on with, with my whole story about the, the hospital and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. 
Um, because in the process of doing that, I learned about myself and I learned about how trauma manifests itself in his body and, and how uh, powerful interoception can be and how do we interpret the feelings that we experience, you know, like all of that can cause more fight or flight. And, you know, I'm a little fight or flight and that makes me more fight or flight. And then it gets to this point where like something terrible is happening to me. Mm. But a big part of that was learning the needling. And that experience was like so dramatic. Uh, so the first, it was the first class, the first day we did all the theory behind the dry needling and all the things that I just described to you about the homeostatic points and all that and all that stuff. And so they, to get used to what a needle feels like, they give you a little half inch needle and you tap it, just put it in your forearm and just see how it feels mm-hmm. and move it up and down, twist it, see, like, just see what it feels mm. like to be in there. You got to know what it feels like. Yeah. As soon as it went in or almost as soon as it went into my body, I started feeling those waves of, of uh, dizzying anxiety uh, come back. Interesting. And, and I was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I thought this was in the past. Mm. And so I was like, went back into my old pattern of just like, just deal with it, you know, push through it. You know how to push through it. It'll go away eventually. It hasn't been here for a long time. So you're fine. Mm -hmm. But like, it sucked to just be sitting there pretending like I feel normal and like I can even listen to what the guy's saying. Right. So what ended up happening was they were like, all right, next one is you're going to get a bigger needle and it's going to stick it in your thigh. And so I was like... (sighs) I'm not doing that. Uh, so I cleared off the table in front of me and just laid down on the table. Cool. Um, okay. Because <laughs> I was like, if I pass out, I'm not going anywhere. I'm safe. Yeah. And so, and you know, they talk about it too. Like He would say like, sometimes people pass out when you stick a needle in them. And I'm like, okay. But like, I felt this feeling before and it didn't feel like I'm just going to all of a sudden faint. Mm. Uh, but anyway, so that time I laid down and I could feel, I could feel, uh, the decay sensation, which is something that we had talked about. The decay, did you guys talk about that with the acupuncturist? No. The decay sensation is like a deep ache okay. that traditionally indicates that your chi is moving. And that deep ache can start to move around in your body as, as, your, as your chi starts to fall. Interesting. So I'm feeling the deep ache. I'm feeling this dizziness. And all of a sudden, it's like when you have those epiphanies and something just shows up in your mind. And I was like, chi. That's what I've been feeling this whole time yeah. is chi. It's energy. It's our biological energy. And I just started laughing and laughing yeah. and laying on the table. And like, I still like my whole body is just tingling right now. It's such a powerful moment mm-hmm. for me. And it, it really changed. It changed so much for me and my perception of just like what we are even doing on this planet, you know, let alone just like physical things and nervous system things. But I was like, it really made a lot of sense to me. Like, why I suffered the way that I did was because I didn't understand. And now I understand it. And I'll still get that feeling sometimes, but it doesn't, isn't panic inducing. It's like, oh, we're like, it usually tells me like this person that I'm talking to should lay on my table and we should get to work because I'm mm. feeling that, that energy shifting and let's do it in a healthy way and not in a way that might cause, you know, me to pass out or them to have something happen to them. Right. Yeah. So that was like a big deal. And the needling really helped me a lot with that. Besides then taking it into the clinic and being able to see, like, put a couple needles in people and be able to see how they change without me doing anything else with my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and another venture that I am working on is there's a, uh, there's a nonprofit organization called Seeds of Promise that's just down the street from me. Um, and I'm on, I'm on this team, uh, their health and wellness team. And so what we're starting to talk about is how to get, how can I treat the people who are uninsured, underinsured? that just struggle to get 
access to healthcare in the first place. And I'm like, yeah. I could potentially use that same format if I can have two rooms and I could treat more people in the same amount of time. Yeah. Uh, Actually, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. My acupuncturist that I interview- interviewed, I can't remember if we uh, covered this in the podcast or not. I think we did, but um, that is really like one of the ways that she got started in her acupuncture practice is she was living in Chicago at the time and she just kind of set up this clinic um, and was able to help all of these people who would just like come in in droves to to see her who you know off the street who didn't have any other kind of health care um so yeah, yeah it's pretty yeah. pretty That's incredible awesome. stuff and it's a it's a shocking i think especially somebody educated in the western system how much good you can do with a seemingly simple modality like placing needles in a person's body mm-hmm. and waiting. those but are my favorite it, though the ones that are just like, this is so simple. How can it possibly do anything? Yeah. And it's yeah. just incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. Absolutely. And you feel it and you know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Once yeah, you feel that, that chi moving once, there's no going yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a believer. That's what I would tell people because there was that period of time where I was learning craniosacral therapy and people were telling me that's nothing. It's bullshit. Mm. Uh, it's voodoo. It's witchcraft, whatever. It's quackery. Where... Uh, there, I had read this letter by John Upledger, who was the guy who kind of brought that to the forefront, who literally wrote the book Craniosacral Therapy, hmm. uh, where he says, you can debate it and debate it and debate it, but once you feel it, there's no denying it any longer. Yep. That's something that I usually just hang my hat on. Yeah. And I think right now, that would probably start to lead me into the, the shamanic stuff. And that is where we are pausing this conversation for today, folks. We will pick back up right here and learn all about the shamanic side to this work and so many other cool things in the next episode. So thank you so much for tuning in, dear listeners. You can find all the links to the things we spoke about, which is a lot, um, in the show notes. And if you want to check out Dr. Brandon Younger, you can find his website and his practice at Step Forward Wellness, also in the show notes linked there. And as always, this podcast is made possible by Free Range Psychiatry. You can check us out at freerange.org. And if you have any questions, thoughts, feedback that you want to share with us, please get in touch. You can send me an email at danny at freerange.org or message me on Instagram, follow the podcast at Psychiatria Podcast. And remember, if you like what you heard, follow us on your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review. All right. Take care, stay curious, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.